It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Jeff Alexander, president and CEO of WowBow. Jeff joined Chicago-based Let Us Entertain You Enterprises back in 1993, straight out of college, and following his work on multiple concepts within their portfolio, he took over the company's Asian concept, WowBow, in 2009. A pioneer in both technology and social media, Jeff redefined the fast casual space by implementing mobile ordering, self-ordering kiosks, bicycle delivery, and nationwide shipping. Jeff has overseen WowBow's inclusion into airports, major sports stadiums, university campuses, music venues, and with groceries around the country now selling WowBow's frozen retail line. Shortly after being named in both Nation Restaurants News Power List and Most Influential Restaurants CEOs in the country, Jeff changed the game in the restaurant industry once again by creating WowBow Now, launching more than 500 WowBow Dark virtual kitchens in more than 400 cities in less than 18 months during the pandemic. Jeff Alexander, welcome into the corner office. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, wonderful to have you here. And uh, we always like to kind of kick off with, uh, you know, the early days. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Thank you for asking. So born and raised in New York City, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Nice. Uh, went to a small, yeah, miss it every day. Went to a small <laughs> private school uh, on the Upper West Side from first through 12th grade. So graduating class of 42 people. And what was nice about nice. that was, you know, I was never the new kid. You know? yeah, uh, so yeah. uh, I was in a, it was a great place to grow up. And uh, we had a summer house um, on fire. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, uh, br- brothers and sisters. And I had, an, I had an older, I had an older sister uh, yeah. and uh, we had a summer house on Fire Island off the coast of Long Island where uh, nice. I, where I really started working. I worked from a very young age, from paper boys selling seashells to, you know, <laughs> in the grocery stores, a delivery boy, a stock boy. And that's really where I learned my work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. And, what about uh, mom and dad? What, what did they do? What was it? Yeah. Dad was a school teacher. He passed away when I was eight years old. And oh, mom oh. was really, you know, the stay at home mom until she was forced to get back into the workplace. And, yeah. uh, uh, she then, so she pretty in, much grew up. She, she brought up you and your sister then. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. My sister, yeah. uh, yeah, my sister was, uh, born mentally handicapped. And when I was 12 years old, four years after my father passed, she was put into a home. So it was really just my mother and I, and we had a great relationship, uh, very protective of each other because of the circumstances of how we did. 
But my mother really let me sort of be my own person and experience my own things. In fact, she uh, pushed me to go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison because she said, uh, A, it was a hot school for New Yorkers, but B, it was far away. And she wanted me to, you know, be able to spread my wings and not have to worry about her and discover my own. And uh, went there for four years after high school and uh, managed a restaurant bar for three years while I was in college. Shout out to State Street Brats. And, uh, <laughs> Hopefully some of theirs listening. Did, yeah. Is that the first time you got involved in the restaurant business or did you well, encounter some of that earlier on in your entrepreneurial activities? Yeah, that was yeah. the first with restaurants, but I've been around food. As I said, I worked in the grocery store in Fire Island. I worked in a gourmet grocery store in New York City uh, in right. high school. So I'd always been around food. Uh, I don't cook. I actually burn water. But I... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, once you get in the hospitality business and you get that buzz and that, the, you know, you get bitten by the, the bug can't regarding it. it. You can't get can't out of it. it. It's, it's, yeah. it's you guys are a unique class. There's no question. As you know, I've had some of your friends and colleagues on the show and uh, everyone has that same sort of burning desire and just that hospitality uh, presence, right? I mean, it really does take a, a commitment to people and the environment. And you're in. What, what do you like best about the hospitality industry? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's changed over the years for me. I think when yeah. I started out, what I really loved about it was just the social aspect, right? I worked at a, a, the, the, the fun bar on campus and I would, you know, everybody wanted to know me to get into the bar when they were underage. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was just, it was a fun environment, right? And then right. when I got into the restaurants after college with Let Us Entertain You, was, we were, I was working at Shaw's Crab House, which is one of the premier seafood houses in the country. And this social aspect of it. And, you know, I wasn't behind a desk eight hours a day looking at a computer screen. Every day was different. Every day was just about, you know, how can you, people come out to eat and we are surrounded by food to celebrate and to commiserate. And you are part (laughs) of people's lives, right? Right, I mean, when something great happens, you need to have food there. When God forbid something bad happens, people bring food. It's the comfort of it. So to be yeah. in an environment where you are adding to their joy or trying to create joy, it's it's just a different it's a different different experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it it yeah. and every day is different, and everyone you're dealing with is different. Right. So it was just right. exciting, and the, the fortunate part that I had with Lettuce Entertain You, you know, Lettuce is a privately held restaurant group that started in 1971 by Richard Melman. We've created over 250 different concepts. In the last 51 years, currently, I think we're about 160 restaurants and uh, 62 different concepts. For me, over my 29 years now, and uh, up until I joined Wowbow in 09, so for me, it was I was on multiple different concepts. It was almost like every two years, I had a new job because I worked with different people in a different building with a different cuisine. Right. And so the it's still the same company. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. It, it keeps your, you know, it keeps the, 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 the juices flowing. Right. Especially there was a number of concepts that I worked on where I built it from the ground up where, you know, I hired the entire staff, designed the entire menu, came up with the menu creations with the chefs, uh, the decor elements of it. I did that on four or five different concepts. So you are giving birth to a place that people are going to come to. And it's just so exciting for me to have been part of that. 
Well, let's rewind a little bit because I want to kind of get to some of the roots of that and, you know, what maybe were some of the inspirations that you got from that or, you know, that you, you attained either as a child or in school. So were you a good student in school? Was that something that entertained you or was that something that you just kind of got through? Yeah, I sort, of, I sort of got through it. I mean, look, I was a pretty good math student up until, you know, calculus came along. along. Um, I think it's more about, uh, you know, I... I you know, I was a solid B minus C student. There were a couple of places here where I probably did better. And, you know, I remember my first class in college, I went from a, a graduating class of 42 students, right? So every right. class I had was 18 people. My first class in Madison was a 400 person <laughs> psychology <laughs> class. Right, and right. it was all multiple choice, Scantron. And growing up, I did everything essays. Right, and I could right. meet with the teacher and talk things through. And here I am just listen to someone talk and then having to memorize it and write thought, uh, Scantron. I think I got an F in the class, you know, <laughs> just but, uh, intrigue you. Yeah. 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 But there are other you know, activities where you invo- involved in sports. And oh, sure. Other Thank you. Things? Yeah. I was on the swim team from fifth grade through senior year, ah, baseball team cool. in high school, uh, yeah. basketball team in seventh, eighth grade. I mean, I've always been a sport sporty guy. I've, right. I'm a social butterfly and, uh, interested in sports and, you know, like I said, by being in the school from first through 12th grade, uh, you know, and never being the new kid, I knew everybody. Right. And then working right. in a bar in college, I knew, I, I want to say I knew everybody, but I knew everybody's fake ID <laughs> name. So when I, when I meet people now, they're like, oh, you graduated the same year as my friend Andy. I'm like, was his name John, maybe? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, show me his I face. I might be able to recognize I, him. I didn't know him as Andy. Uh, I love it. I love so, it. Well, you mentioned a lot of entrepreneurial things growing up. What, what was the, uh, the, the, the goal at the time? Were you, you know, saving money for college? Did mom say that was part of the deal? Or did you have some vices that you explored? You know, where, where did all those uh, funds go to during those? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. So uh, for me, work wasn't about making money. Work was about, I just enjoyed it. I, enjo- yeah. I enjoyed having responsibility. And I enjoyed being dependable, you know, and for me, you know, my career has never been about getting a raise every six months and getting a promotion and a title change. My job has always been, my work ethic has always been, how can I make the job easier for the next person and for my boss? And that sort of is what has been fueling me. And that's why I worked at a young age. And did I get paid? Sure. What did I blow it on? You know, Let's go, let's go. I worked in the grocery store. So at the end of the shift, let's go hit the candy aisle. Let's go buy some ice cream and some chips for all my friends. And you know, (laughs) who need, who needs a six pack of soda until I got of age, then it was okay. We bought other things, but (laughs) you know, uh, uh, what I, what I, what I really did, you know, before my father passed on fire Island, we had the, at the firehouse, the community firehouse every Wednesday night was movie night. I mean, they move all the fire trucks out and they set up the old, movie projector and Ah, they'd show old movies. So I started working there at the age of eight, right? When I say I was working there, it was like I'd set up chairs, right? And then the next year I ran the popcorn machine and the next year I sold sodas and then I worked the front door. Well, when I turned 13, I had been doing it for five years. My father now had been gone for five years. I actually was running the movie theater. Somebody else would come and move the fire trucks out of the way. I obviously couldn't drive, but I was the guy who opened it up, set it all up and tore it all down at the end of the day. And it's just sort of been embedded in my, my, my DNA to work hard 
And, you yeah. know, people talk about retirement one day for me. I'm like, I don't think I could ever sit around and, <laughs> you know. Well, what I hear too is, is service. You know, it sounds like you are very service oriented, you know, whether you're buying chips and soft drinks for your friends or setting up the chairs and creating that, you know, uh, environment. That's just, that always kind of floated your boat, right? You enjoyed kind of creating those environments. Yeah. You know, when you, when you run a restaurant, setting up for the, before the shift starts, you're setting your house, so to speak for a party, right? You set the lights, you set the music, you make sure that everything looks the way it's supposed to be. And then you open the doors and invite your guests in. It's funny because in my actual home life, I have party in my house of phobia, right? Because I get everything set in my house and people show up. I'm like, please leave. But at the (laughs) restaurant, I want to entertain. And to your point of your question, you know, growing up, it was always about wanting to have fun. And I wanted yeah. everybody to have fun. And I, you know, to a degree, probably, you know, my therapist would say that I wanted to be the center of attention and be the guy who was remembered about having fun. So I, I bought all the snacks and made sure everyone had yeah. what they needed. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's always about, you know, the comfort level of other people. And to yeah. your point, hospitality. Yeah. And, and, and entertaining others. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about how, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> New York City kid adjusted to Madison, Wisconsin. Well, I got to tell you that that's got to be a big cultural shift. What, what were that? What was that first you know semester well, like? The first year. So my first day in college, I, I had a single in the dorm, and you know when you move into college, they put up on the outside the door your name and where you're from. Right. Well, I'm unpacking in my dorm, and people kept walking by and like looking and then scurrying away. <laughs> And finally, this guy across the hall came into my room. He said, okay, I'm going to come in. I go, all right, like, sure. He's like, well, no one else will. He goes, what's what's in your trunk? I go, I don't understand your question. He goes, do you have guns and knives? I go, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you're from New York. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, culture (laughs) shock, right? stereotype, yeah. 100%. You know, he's from small town Minnesota, this guy. Now, I I look, Madison's a fantastic campus, an unbelievable Mm. education, and a a great social life. Everything about Madison was great. I loved it my freshman year. You you stayed there four or five years, right? Four years. Four years. Had to get out in four. But I loved it my freshman year. My sophomore year, I got the job in the bar, which was fantastic. My junior year uh, was uh, I moved up at the bar from you know prep cook, grill cook, whatever, to bartender. And right. I enjoyed junior year. My senior year, I was like, I have to get out of here. Like I've walked the, <laughs> the main street now, God knows how many thousands of times the last three years. But I stayed two summers there because the summers are beautiful after the, the winter snow. The summers, you're on two lakes. I mean, it's just a beautiful, gorgeous campus. Right. And I had met a girl uh, who was a year older than me. So when I was a junior, she was a senior. She was from Ohio. And after her graduation, she did not want to go to New York. And I refused to go to Ohio. So mm. she did Chicago so we could stay close. So upon my graduation, I, I, you know, I moved to Chicago both for her and for the job. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, Chicago is a great city. It's a younger, cleaner, more manageable New York. I do miss New York every day. Uh, unfortunately my mother passed away in 2000, so I don't Mm -hmm. really have any family back in New York. Uh, but my friends are all there and I still consider New York home. My, my wife, my second wife now, uh, we've been married for 15 years. Uh, she reminds me every day that I've been in Chicago longer than I was ever in New York. (laughs) (laughs) And you never left. So, so you literally moved to Chicago after Madison. You've been there ever since. Yeah, ninety three. So after that's, that's my, my for New Yorker, that's very rare for you. <laughs> it's been a great career for me, and yeah. now I have a fantastic yeah. family, a son, and uh, 
my daughter has graduated from grad school and she's joining social work, group therapy for kids. So we're all homebound here in Chicago now. I love it. And you've pretty much been with the same company since you graduated. So tell us a little bit about how you met Lettuce Entertain You and and how that all started. Thank you. So when I would visit Chicago to, uh, on the weekends, because as I said, my first wife and girlfriend at the time was living here, we would eat out because that's what you do when you visit. And after the sure. fourth restaurant, we learned they were all the same company. Mm. So I applied for a management job, came down to meet with the, uh, one of the presidents of one of the divisions of Lettuce. And uh, he couldn't meet with me because he didn't have time for the interview. He was running late. So he had passed me off to one of his people. And then I found out they passed on me for a job. And I thought that was unfair since I didn't meet with who I was supposed to. So I came back down for another interview. And uh, I was offered a position as a host or server for a year. And then they would consider me for management. Hmm. And I loved the company. I loved what they were doing. So I said, sure, let's go. And on my first day of work, they talked to me about my management benefits. And I did not correct the guy whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) What was that first franchise or the first? Uh, I worked uh, at a, I spent three weeks at a restaurant called Mining Ice Grill, which was inside okay. the Water Tower shopping mall. And then three right. weeks later, I got really moved to Shaw's Crab House. And I was there for two years. Uh, and then in 95, I joined Big Bowl, which at the time was an 1800 square. So I went, Shaw's Crab House is a 18,000 square foot high end seafood restaurant. It's two restaurants in one, the main diner wow. and the oyster bar. Uh, and it was a fantastic environment to grow up and learn uh, from casual dining on the Oyster Bar side to full service, uh, team service on the, the diner side. And then I joined Big Bowl. It was an 1,800 square foot, like 20 seat restaurant, total culture shock from seafood, mm-hmm. which I grew up eating to uh, Asian noodles. But Big Bowl took off. And yeah. over time, we, we grew over the next few years until 2001, we grew eight restaurants. I became an area director overseeing all the GMs of all the locations. And it was sold to Brinker International down in Dallas, who owns Chili's right. Macaroni Grill and so on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't want to go with the, the transition. I wanted to stay with Lettuce. So I joined, at the time, we had a restaurant called Vong, which was part of John George Von Gerichten out of New York. We partnered with him and ran the Chicago location. There were five of them around the world, Hong Kong, London, New York, and so on. And uh, reconcepted that into Vong's Thai Kitchen. And then from there, I worked at uh, Tucci Benucci, which was a 20-year-old Italian restaurant of ours. Closed that and reconcepted that to Frankie Scalapini. And then I worked on uh, Over to Wow Bao in 2009. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Wowbow in a bit, but I want to get a little more in detail in some of those early uh, experiences. So <laughs> you get the briefing the first day. They're obviously putting you into the management program. Did you get management responsibility right away? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a there's a 13-week management training program. Okay. So, so they, I put, was you, in they put you into that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember it was two weeks later in the middle of a busy lunch shift. And I walked up to the partner in charge of the restaurant. I said, what am I getting paid? <laughs> no one had told me anything. Yeah, right. And right. Uh, I, you, you won't believe how much money I was making. I was like, I, I hit the jackpot in 1993. I was paid twenty four thousand dollars a year. Oh my! I gosh, couldn't. I couldn't bro. have been happier, man. Yeah. <laughs> called my called my girlfriend. Called my mother. I said, "You'll never guess what." Um, <laughs> so, but I was really just basically a host for three weeks sure. at Mighty Nights before they moved me over to Shaw's Crab House. And that's where the, the training program really did. And the lettuce yeah. training program yeah. is you work every position in the house from dishwasher 
up to wow. floor manager during those 13 weeks. It's I love that. I love yeah. that about hospitality in the restaurant business. You know, too it's, many companies don't do that, right? You know, yeah. they should do every job in the organization. Well, you do five weeks in the front of the house, busboy, back waiter, server, food runner, right? Hostess, manager, yeah. bartender, barback, and then you go to the back of the house and you start as a dishwasher and then you work every line position up right. until you're working the position with the chef. And then from there, you work two weeks in the office or three weeks in the office learning all the financials. And mm -hmm. uh, it's very detailed. And look, it creates empathy for the employees. You understand what, sure. what their job very does smart. because on a very busy night when they're you know, killing them in the back, you appreciate it more because you had to right. sweat it out with them. And, well, uh, and you've done it before too. So you know, when that yeah. key person doesn't show up, guess who gets to do that job, exactly. right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, also, it's also camaraderie, right? Yeah. You create relationships yeah. with all of these right. employees on a trust right. factor, on so a level smart. that doesn't really happen. So now they know who you are. You know something personal about them. And that's right. what's beautiful about Lettuce. It is a, it's, a, it's a large company. You know, we're 7,000 employees or something, but it's a family. I mean, it's family yeah. owned. You know, Rich Melman his family still are extremely active in it, and there's right. I think we're up to close to eighty partners now in the in the company. But are they is, is it first generation family, second generation? So Rich founded it, and now his son it. RJ is the president, he's uh, president and yeah. his so other his other son Jared and daughter Molly are both involved also. Starting to transition. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. That's so cool. So, so uh, you finished that training program and then did they put you in as assistant manager? I was the, so, uh, yeah. Perfect. So thank you. I don't mean to interrupt you. They, 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 well, in the lettuce world, you have a general manager, then they're, right. they're numbered. You have a general manager, a number two, a number three, and a number four. Not everyone has four levels of management. So it depends on the size of the restaurant. Right. But I started as a number four manager. So I was in charge of the dishwasher schedule and all the supply ordering for the restaurant, as right. well as running you know, the oyster bar at nighttime. Yeah. And then after six or eight months, they made me number three manager. And eventually I was in charge of all the liquor buying. Uh, and then when I transitioned over to big bowl, they made me number two. And now he's in charge of all schedules and food buying. Uh, and uh, then we opened up another big bowl location. And I became the general manager for that one. Nice. Which nice. is all aspects of the restaurant. So going back to maybe that first management responsibility where you started managing people, what, what were some of the key challenges that you had or, or, or did you not have any? Did you kind of just fit in and felt like a glove from the very beginning? So we have this thing called breakfast meetings where every six months the team, the, the entire restaurant staff is invited. No salary people are allowed there. It's all workers, employees, right. hourly employees. Right. Me with the head of HR and a, a partner from a different division. And it's a chance for them to give constructive feedback. It's not a yeah. bitch session, but it's a way to communicate about what's going on. And I remember my first breakfast meeting and the feedback I got. And I heard, Jeff, they love you. You're very supportive. You're there whenever they need you. You're always on the floor. But. <laughs> Waiting for the butt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Every time someone walks up to you in the middle of the shift, the server comes up to you and says, can you comp this dish on table blank? You do it for them and they appreciate it. But you always ask them why. Like, can you buy the calamari off of table 20? Well, why didn't they like it? And the yeah. server doesn't know why they didn't like it. They just know they didn't like it. And they just need, they're busy. Like, just comp it. Don't yeah. ask them questions. Yeah. And I'm thinking right. to myself, I'm like, 
of course I'm going to comp it. I'm just standing at the computer with you and I'm making conversation and I'm a brash New Yorker. Like, what do you mean they didn't like it? I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, right? I mean, also, I you want to you doing your research, right? Exactly. I mean, that's well, important. Not, I wasn't yeah. even doing my research. I wasn't doing it because I really cared. I was yeah. doing it more because I'm a brash New Yorker. That's what we do. Like, we, <laughs> we ask questions and we say everything sarcastically. So it was a real eye-opener to me about the Midwest, mm. right? Yeah, the Midwest... Right. You know, a people working—they're busy and they just want what they want. And as you know, our our saying is, "We are slaves to our employees." Right? We are there to give what our employees need. And here I was fighting them on the power. You're challenging it, yeah. Well, and and, and again, to that Midwestern culture, of course, they're they're only asking it because they didn't like it. Right. right. And, and and we have to do this for them because there would be no reason why they would tell us to comp it if they did. Yeah, I'm like just going to, a side story here, because we're talking about <laughs> the Midwest culture and my New York brashness. So in 2004, I opened up seven Asian kiosks inside Byerly's and Lund's grocery stores in Minnesota. Now, Byerly's and Lund's grocery stores are carpeted and chandelier. These are beautiful Ah. high-end grocery stores. And I would remember I would work, you know, 14-hour days inside the grocery store. And at the end of the day, I'd want to buy like a bag of chips and a soda to go back to my hotel room because I'm exhausted. And I've been in the the grocery store all day long, so they know who I am. And I get online at the cash register to leave, and the person at the register asks the customer how their day is going. Now, in New York... It's that you just say hi to people like, hi, how's your day? And everyone's like, Ugh, and they move on, right? In right, Minnesota, right. they want to know. Yeah. So the, line, the customer in front of me was online for 20 minutes just talking to the, the cashier. And all I want to do is go home. Get your chips right? and your soda and get so, out of there. And then, it's, and then it's my turn. And again, I've seen this person all day long. And they ask me, how's your day going? And I can't not tell them now because they're Minnesota Midwest. Right. So. Right. I still, to this day, probably have, I'm still probably more New York than Midwest. Oh, God, I love it. I love it. All right, so on to general management. And uh, what, what was that first general manager job? Was it with the... Uh, it was the a big check? bowl. It was, yeah, a, it was, no, a, big it was, it was okay. a big bowl. Uh, right. It was, we opened up a restaurant uh, in downtown Chicago. We went, again, the first one was 1,800 square feet. This right. one was uh, 5,000. So we needed to hire a staff of 40. Uh, and I was a part of the hiring process. Uh, now, was that uh, a new concept that had already existed it was, it or were you concept, coming into no, it? It was, it was store two of the concept. Store two. Okay. Kind of mm-hmm. Early days. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and I ran that store from 96 when it opened until uh, 1999. Wow. And during that time, we opened a couple of other stores that I was involved with as my development was growing, involved in construction and mentoring. And everyone who worked at the next stores to come came up through me. Right, because they all. Well, now, just I, to get the just to get the dates training. right, ninety six only been about three years out of college, so you're in your mid twenties, right? At that uh, yeah, time. I am. Yeah. I am. Thank yeah. you for knowing that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was it was an umbo because in that building, in the basement of that building, we made our corporate office for Big Bowl because the plan right. was we were growing more of these. So I had the president of the division, the two vice presidents, and the head of culinary all in my building now, which was great. Wow to be part of their meetings. At the same time, you have four different people who are very opinionated about how that lunch shift should be running. Right? <laughs> right. So and you're all me, sitting very close to each other. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had an unbelievable education in learning things, but at the same time, I also had an education how to finesse different people's opinions. 
Right. Right. With making right. sure they all felt like they were heard and valued. Yeah. Yeah. Important. Yeah. Cool. And, and what were some of the other lessons you learned in that first general manager job? You know, that it, it, when you become a general manager, it's a different level of responsibility because you have right. to hire, you have to schedule, and you have to really be the, the therapist for every employee. <laughs> exactly. And, right. You know, I mean, look, everybody has problems. Right. Everybody has issues. Some people have subscriptions, but they all have things that are going on with them uh, in their personal life. And the restaurant industry is generally one of two kinds of people, a career long restaurant person or a first job Yeah, as you're in school or you're finding your way and you're waiting for that other career to take off. So right. there's turnover and you make relationships and friendships and they leave yeah. or you know, you're dealing with young people who, you know, are, are struggling financially or, you know, come from sometimes from a home life that isn't stable right. or, you know, and, and you, they look to you to solve all their problems. Right. I mean, it is a major it's really, responsibility. It's an extended family. I, I you know, exactly. I, I, I grew up with friends that worked at the chart house and Chuck's, you know, I was a West coast kid. And, uh, you know, I remember them talking about, you know, kind of their brothers and their sisters, you know, like what your family, right? Well, no, I mean, yeah, it's kind of my restaurant family. Did yeah. you feel that as well? Was 100%. it kind of an extension of that? Well, yeah. partly yeah. I think that's the restaurant business, but the other part of it is that is how lettuce created this culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are yeah. employees at, at what Shaw's Crab House opened in 1984. There are still employees who work there at opening day. Wow. I mean, that, that, that type of a place, right? Because it is all, we are run on emotion. A yep. lot of restaurant companies out there are run on financial, dictates everything. And lettuce is, I'm proud of the fact that we run on emotion. Look, we've gotten better on running on some financial, right? There's right. definitely a responsibility to be financially sound. But running on emotion is what makes a family stick together Absolutely. and makes people feel yeah. safe. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we went through 9-11 together. We right. went through the, the market crash in 08 together. We've gone through COVID together. I mean, yeah. and when I say gone through it together, it's these people who you've worked with for years, if not decades, who you're checking in with regularly, who are checking in with you. There are people, I mean, people saw my daughter. I used to bring her in in the baby carrier in the early days of life. And now they've seen her grow up and graduate from grad school. Yeah. Employees. Of yeah. It's really kind of an interdependence, isn't it? You know, they, there, there is kind of that reliance uh, on other folks and yeah, extended family in many ways. And the, empl and the guest who comes, right. You've seen people who came in on their first date who are now sending their kids off to college yeah. and they've come yeah. to your restaurant during all that time. I mean, the, Again, look, I, I hate talking about 9-11 because we all have our stories about it. But Big Bull and, and VTK, I was actually opening VTK the day that it happened, but Big Bull was a place that everyone just came to. It was a neighborhood restaurant. And you right. went there to feel connections. Right. And, you know, that is what restaurants do for a lot of people. As I said earlier, yeah. we commiserate and we celebrate around food. And it's not just the food. The food tastes better because of the way the people are who are working there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us about some of the mentors you've had over the years, Jeff. I've had about, you know, I, I recently did a keynote speech uh, in, in March at an event, and the, I spoke for 45 minutes about mentorship, and mentorship mm -hmm. is very important to me. 
I have, I have eight solid mentors in my life. Mm. Uh, Frank and Bobby were the owners of the grocery store that I grew up on doing when I was a kid up through 19. Yeah. I had Kelly, Sandy, and Terry, who were the owners of State Street Brats for my three years in college. Right. Rich Melman, the founder of Lettuce. Kevin Brown, who's now the CEO of Lettuce, who was the partner who hired me out of college. And I followed him throughout my career and worked with him hand in hand. Yeah. I have uh, John Shulkin, who's uh, with the private equity firm that now has controlling interest of WowBow. Uh, I have uh, my wife, Lori, who's my rock and keeps me grounded. And then I have my therapist, uh, David, who just you know g- helps me find the insight that I need to go. Yeah. And those eight people have shaped me for years, each of them. And, uh, uh, what's the, what's the common thread? What would you say is the common thread through all eight of those folks? I think that the, every single one of them has, has taken me in, right? It's not just like they hired me and they just taught me how to, you know, do this or do that. I mean, there has definitely been a feeling of personal connection that has allowed me to, screw up yeah and and be accepted for screwing up and uh every one of them has not been afraid to kick me in the the butt when i needed it (laughs) and none of them have been afraid to praise me when i've deserved it they've not held back i shouldn't say afraid but they haven't held back the praise when it's been you know the accolades are needed but that every one of them is you know they've all given me something different yeah. You know, I don't, I, I, if anyone has one mentor, I, 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 I feel sorry for you because there's so much more inside of you to be unlocked right. and you need to be right. exposed to more people. And, uh, uh, when you grow and look, having kids has given me a different perspective on it, sure. but you know, my son, who's t- almost 12 years old will listen to me about certain things and will not listen to me about other things. <laughs> right? Because I'm the dad. And when you have mentors around you, you want to listen to some pieces from this person and you want to listen to some people from those person. But in hindsight, all the pieces came from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about WowBow. So new concept and, and, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago and it's a very different approach to, you know, uh, restaurants and restaurant management. So, so give us kind of the inspiration for the creation of WowBow and, and how it's run today. Okay. So in 1997, give or take, we did a tasting for Rich Melman. Our chef partners did a tasting for Rich and they gave him Bao. Bao is a soft, sweet dough with meat and vegetables inside. They're about the size of a, a tennis ball. Uh, thousands of years in Asia, we did not create Bao. But we did a tasting for Rich. In the middle of the tasting, he paused and he said, you know, we could do a whole concept just selling these. And Rich <laughs> files things away. And fast forward to 2002, uh, Water Tower Place Shopping Mall in the center of Chicago offered Lettuce Entertain You a space to sell gift cards during the holidays right at the front entrance. And we sell a lot of gift cards at the holidays. And after the holidays, they asked Lettuce if we wanted to keep that location and turn it into something. Well, there's no ventilation in there. It's, this, mm. it's the heart of the mall, right? right? And Rich remembered Bao, this concept. Wow. And all it is is steam. And steam dissipates after 10 feet. You don't have to run a lot of 
uh, HVAC to get your steam out of the building. And yeah. uh, so we built the first Wow Bow and opened in 2003, 354 square feet. And then uh, wow. <laughs> in 07, we opened two more locations, a little bit larger. Uh, 2200 and 15 and 1800 were the two locations that extended the menu. And then I took it over in 09 when there was three stores. And uh, the first thing I did was, uh, really got involved with technology for the concept in 2010, we added self ordering kiosks. And at the time in 2010, there was only movie theaters to get your tickets, ATM machines and airports were using self ordering kiosks. Now it's sort of right. commonplace, right? McDonald's has it and all these places have it, but no one had it in 2010. Um, we did mo uh, desktop ordering. Again, sounds like no big deal for generations growing up with everything on their phone, but no one was doing desktop right. ordering back in 2010. We had an app in the yeah. App Store. There was only 300,000 apps. And then we got involved and started opening up some more brick and mortar. We became the first lettuce concept to open in an airport, first lettuce concept to get involved with college campuses. And then we mm. started doing sports stadiums. And uh, in 2017, Valor Equity Partners took a majority stake to fund our growth. And then we got involved in a virtual kitchen out in LA. We created uh, one of our restaurants became, we eventually did three of them, uh, restaurants that became fully tech enabled for the front of the house. There was no human interaction. You'd walk in and either order from your phone or from an iPad. And then the food was delivered to you through an animated cubby. That was personalized with your name on it. It was wow. revolutionary. Wow. And uh, then we had this thought in late 2019, based on Lettuce's network of restaurants and people they knew and Valor's network of restaurants and people they knew, and the fact that we had national distribution of our product, why couldn't another restaurant sell our food out the back door on third-party delivery? We thought mm. about the local coffee shop that only has two day parts, right? Breakfast and lunch. We thought about the right. ice cream store in Chicago that has four months of no one eating ice cream because it's too cold. We thought of hotels that had full room service staff, full kitchens, but no one eats in the hotel. So they're standing around. And we thought right. of the catering company that has a full kitchen, but only puts out one order a night. And we could give all of these people more revenue and more profit and help them make money instead of just breaking even or losing money. So we built out online training materials, started talking to the third-party delivery providers, created a marketing plan, and launched with one location in January of 2020. Started getting data and learning what we were doing and correcting mistakes, talking talk to some operators, and then COVID hit. Wow. And from April 2020 till today, we've done over 600 locations across the country with Amazing. a robust pipeline to get to 1,000 by the end of the year. and. Uh, well, we you were a concept. A you were a concept looking for a pandemic. There's brains and there's luck. I, and yeah. you know, I, 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 I don't ever want to joke about the pandemic. I mean, people got very ill. People lost people they knew, and I hate to say yeah. that we were fortunate to come out of it. But we created something that helped restaurants survive the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Our, and help people too, being, being delivered yes. and, you know, having yep. food in their homes. Yeah, it was, it wasn't just the restaurants, right? We had farmers still yeah. working. We had butchers still working. We had tr truck drivers delivering food. Like we helped so many segments of the industry to yeah. keep surviving and going. And, you know, we found a way for restaurants to pay rent, to keep the lights on, to pay staff, to hire managers during their darkest days. We had a, we had a couple of restaurants who told us point blank, 
they would have clocked up their doors and been closed if we didn't, right. if we right. weren't there for them. And Fill we didn't gap, create yeah. this for the That's pandemic. Crazy. We didn't know about the pandemic in 2019, but we built it to help restaurants. And the team is, I mean, we went from 11 people in our home office pre-pandemic to where 28 now because of the growth that yeah. we've had. So we've created jobs and everybody is focused and proud of the help that we've given to the industry. What's the footprint now in terms of number of locations that are that are making your products? We've launched 600 locations. We're also in, we have about 25 locations in Canada. We uh, a month ago we opened in Alaska. <laughs> wow. We're ready to go to Mexico. We're ready to go to the UK. And uh, we were talking to people in both of those countries. And we're uh, now talking to the Netherlands and Belgium and France. And there's a lot of opportunity here for what we can do. Awesome. A lot of fun. You're on a rocket. Well, how has your leadership style uh, you know, evolved over time, Jeff? Growing up in New York City, I moved very fast. And my, I, have, I have zero patience. And I tell people all the time, you know, whatever it is we're working on, we should be able to get it done in days. Yeah. Nothing yeah. we do should take more than three days. Right. And uh, my leadership style has changed a lot to, you know, it's more of a coach and not a doer. For many years, I was the doer. Like, if you can't do it, get out of my way. I'll get it done myself. <laughs> I can do it better than you. Just watch me and then hopefully you'll learn how to do it. Right. And, uh, you know, I think I – think, my, one way my leadership style got better uh, was becoming a parent. A parent having your own child teaches you patience. Yep. You know that that four year old is not going to know how to tie their shoe, no matter how many times you yell at them to tie their shoe. Right. And you have to be patient and teach and coach. And I think that was a big part of me uh, being successful. I yeah. think that uh, John with Valor, you know, when Valor got involved, he's like, you have to hire a team. Right. And look, I've, I've hired servers, I've hired bartenders, but I had to go out and hire a CFO and a head of business development and a, you know, a head of marketing. Like these are senior people right. that I had to go out there and figure out how to hire and learn. And uh, so my management style, my leadership style has gone from much less of doing to much more of communicating. Hmm. And it has to be now, I have to be the visionary, I have to be the entrepreneur, and I have to be the goal setter, but I can't do the vision, I can't do the goals, I have to put right. some trust in it. It's sort of like a baseball team, right? You want to be the pitcher because you want to strike everybody out. But the good coach says, throw strikes because you have eight other players out there who will make the play. Right. And right. that's, that's the difference. And, yeah. and my, my original style is I would want to be the pitcher and just try to strike you out. And if you hit a home run off me, I'd be angry about it. I'd right. be disappointed in myself. Now I'm trusting that, you know, the players are going to make the play. Yeah. What do, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, Jeff? I got to connect with them. Before yeah. anything else, I have to be able to connect with you. I have to right. want to talk to you. Because right. I don't want to have people in my office who I want to avoid. <laughs> you know, that can be very I mean, uncomfortable. Look, I mean, you, you laugh, but there, there are definitely, I mean, I've hired people. We've all hired the wrong people. And if I want to talk to you, if I want to stop by your desk, if I want you to walk into my office, 
then you're the person I want on my team. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's gotten to the point now where I really, I do the last interview. If you make it to me, I'm, I don't ask you if you know how to do our financials. I don't ask you how you hire people and train people. I'm under the assumption that my team has covered all of that stuff. Right. Right. My interview now, now is about culture. Are you yeah. a culture fit to what I'm trying to do? Do I yeah. want, do I connect with you? Right. Right. Very important. I mean, look, we're still small. We're 28 people in an office. So it's not yeah. like I have 7,000 employees. I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> right. I right. personally hire everybody because I will be interacting with you again. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Well, Jeff, we're just about out of time, but we always ask one last question of our CEO guests. And that's kind of what career and life advice you to give someone that maybe has their own eyes on a corner office someday. You know, I don't think there's one piece of advice you can give to anybody who wants to become a CEO. I think you have to work hard. And when I say everyone says, oh, you have to work hard. No, I mean, if you want to lead a company, you have to work harder than anybody because nobody in the company will ever care about the company as much as you. That's the difference with the CEO. You have to care more than anybody. And it's not just about the company. The company is not just the widgets we sell. The company is the people that we hire and their development and the people that we service and their enjoyment of those widgets, whatever it may be, right? right? right. The success of others leads to your success. And in the younger days of mine, you know, I was jealous of other people's success. I think that I think the other piece of advice is you have to be passionate, but you can't mistake uh, uh, passion or you can't cross wires of passion and, you know, attitude. You have to lead. We have a saying that leaders lead and you can't sit by and wait to be told what to do. If you are a leader, step up and lead. Step up and do what has to be done and make sure your people are successful because their success will drive the business, which will let you keep leading them. No question. Well, Jeff Alexander, president and CEO of WowBow and a managing partner at Let Us Entertain You, thank you so much for sharing your story into the corner office. I appreciate your time and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 